You know, he reminds me of that, that guy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, when you pull back the curtain, it's a really small dude. Broadcasting from the Blue Ridge Mountains here in the star city of Roanoke, Virginia. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Jamie Lee Show. Today's episode is about America's first female president. President Woodrow Wilson suffered a stroke on October 2nd, 1919. The White House became shrouded in secrecy, and his wife, Edith, controlled all access to the president. Many wondered whether she actually controlled the White House as well. Born on October 15, 1872, Edith Bowling was a direct descendant of Pocahontas and John Rolfe. She was raised in Withville, Virginia, and married Norman Galt, a Washington jeweler. They lived happily until Norman died of influenza in 1908, leaving Edith a widow at the age of 35. One of Edith's close friends, Helen Bones, was a cousin of Woodrow Wilson. In March 1915, Edith and Helen stepped out of a White House elevator, both of them muddy from a walk. By chance, they met the recently widowed President Wilson and his friend and physician, Dr. Kerry Grayson. On that soggy afternoon, Edith joined President Wilson for tea. Almost immediately, Wilson was drawn to Edith's charm and intellect, and by the end of April, she was dining at the White House on a nightly basis, enjoying intimate conversations about politics and world concerns. On May 4, 1915, a shocking two months after they met, Wilson proposed. Following their marriage on December 18, 1915, Edith's political partnership with Wilson continued, perhaps beyond the lines of propriety. In fact, as the United States became involved in the Great War, Edith coded and decoded confidential messages, enjoying direct access to classified information. After World War I ended on November 11, 1918, Edith shared Wilson's enthusiasm for the Treaty of Versailles and his proposed League of Nations to maintain world peace. However, the Senate refused to ratify the treaty without s- several changes. Wilson refused to compromise. In September 1919, he embarked on a 10,000-mile whistle-stop tour of the country to promote the league, but extreme exhaustion debilitated him between Pueblo, Colorado, and Wichita, Kansas. Edith, along with Dr. Grayson and Secretary Joseph Tumulty, canceled the rest of the tour and rushed Wilson back to Washington. On October 2nd, Edith found Wilson on the White House bathroom floor. He'd suffer a debilitating stroke that rendered the left side of his body paralyzed. Late that afternoon, Wilson lay nearly lifeless. But according to Edith's memoir, the words of Dr. Francis Durkham offered assurance. Although Wilson's body was maimed, his mind was clear as crystal. 
While Durkham recommended that Wilson not resign from office, he warned Edith that Wilson must be guarded from stress and unnecessary decisions. So, Edith became Wilson's gatekeeper and spokesperson. Very few people besides Grayson or Tumulty were allowed in Wilson's room. Meanwhile, Grayson told the public that the president was suffering from nervous exhaustion. Rumors began to fly as the public demanded answers. Had the president become a drooling, babbling infant? Was he actually suffering from venereal disease? Political enemies accused Edith of running a petticoat government. Other critics called her the presidentress. While Edith took over many routine duties of government, she maintained that Wilson was in control of major decisions. She defined herself as a steward. In my memoir, she stated, I, myself, never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not, and the very important decision of when to present matters to my husband. According to some, this was equivalent to running the country, but there is no evidence that she contradicted Wilson. Even when the treaty was heading for defeat in November 1919, she obeyed her husband's emphatic murmurs that compromise would be dishonorable. In December 1919, the shroud was lifted. Edith allowed Albert Fall, a Republican senator and political foe, to enter Wilson's room to discuss a crisis in Mexico. Carefully covering his weakened left side, Edith helped present the bedridden Wilson in his best form. Wilson's appearance, intelligence, and wit convinced the senator and other leaders that he was still capable of leading the nation. Wilson finished his term in 1921 and retired in Washington, D.C. He died on February 3, 1924. During her long widowhood, Edith promoted the legacy of her husband by publishing my memoir in 1939 and releasing Wilson in 1944, a film biography in which she held full control of the script. Edith died on December 28, 1961, the 105th anniversary of her husband's birthday. So what really happened? The truth of Edith Wilson's finely crafted memoir was questioned when documents revealed that doctors Durkham and Grayson were fully aware of the severity of Wilson's stroke and his immediate mental impairment. Furthermore, Grayson's private correspondence indicted that Edith would not allow those details to be released to the nation. If Wilson's true condition had been revealed in the weeks following the stroke, Wilson likely would have been replaced by Vice President Thomas Marshall. Edith's harshest critics believe her secrecy may have changed the course of history, speculating that if Marshall had become president, he may have chosen to negotiate a modified version of the League of Nations that included the United States. After the end of his second term in 1921, 
Wilson and his wife moved from the White House to a townhouse in Washington, D.C. Wilson's health did not improve after leaving office, declining rapidly in January 1924. He died on February 3, 1924, at the age of 67. He was interred in Washington's National Cathedral, being the only president whose final resting place lies within the nation's capital. This is Jamie. Thanks for listening. Was Edith Bowling Wilson, the direct descendants of Pocahontas and John Rolfe, really America's first female president? We have to always remember our history and the last chapter if we're going to accurately and, and correctly write the next chapter. Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong Under the shade of a coolabar tree He sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled Come a waltzing Matilda with me Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me He sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled Down came a jumbuck to drink at the billabong Up jumped the swagman and grabbed him with glee He sang as he shoved that jumbuck in his tucker bag You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me He sang as he shoved that jumbuck in his tucker bag Rode the squatter, mounted on his thoroughbred. Up rode the troopers, one, two, three. With the jolly jumbuck that you got in your tucker bag, you'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. With the jolly jumbuck that you got in your tucker bag, you'll Jumped the swagman, sprang into the billabong You'll never take me alive, said he And his ghost may be heard As you pass by that billabong You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me Waltzing Matilda Come 
tell 